You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, a church doctor with some fascinating insights about civility and the way we treat one another. You know, civility means respect. And it's a hot topic in our world of news media, the internet, and the way we act toward one another, even in the church. I've asked some very special people to read my book called Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master. For this series of episodes, I've interviewed different people from around the country. They have raised some amazing insights. I found these interviews to be absolutely fascinating, and I think you will too. My guests for uh, this podcast are two longtime friends, uh, Walt and Kathy Kulik. They are both doctors, PhDs. Uh, they are uh, what we call, I think they introduced themselves to me as paradox. That's the pair of doctors. Uh, I always remembered that. And uh, welcome, guys. It's good to have you uh, with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Or there or somewhere. Wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, wherever. Thank you for, uh, for reading uh, the, uh, the book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master. Uh, it uh, was a long project for me uh, and a learning project for me as well. Uh, when you do research, you, you learn a lot. I'd like to start just by asking you about your background a little bit so people know a little bit more about you. Um, you guys uh, uh, have been uh, married together for a long time, and, uh, but you both had uh, different uh, uh, unique occupations. Uh, tell us what you did and uh, what you're doing now. Well, yeah, I started out, started. started out life as an aeronautical engineer and ended up going back to graduate school. And became a psychologist and practiced management psychology for 35 years. And in fact, uh, it was kind of that expertise that brought us together. That is to say, uh, you, Ken Hunter, you, Church Growth Center, and we together. Because uh, uh, if you recall, many years ago, gosh, it's got to be 30 years ago, 25 anyway. Some, yeah, very uh, close to one at, of those. At, the, at, at some of the rough spots in the ministry, uh, we were gratified to be able to come in and and uh, and help. And you were put us on the board of directors there for about eight years. So we're very familiar with you and, and with the ministry. Kathy, would you like to say something about yourself? Uh, yeah. Basically, I, my first gig, if you want to call it, was as a speech pathologist in, in schools first. Uh, and my interest was in adult development, particularly adolescent and adult development. And eventually I wandered into going back to school too. And at that time I got a PhD uh, in educational psychology and also in human development. And since that time, in various ways, as we kind of moved around a little bit, uh, Walt and I, uh, I did some teaching at the university level, both in Cleveland area, and now we live uh, 
in a little town further south, about an hour, and now I became eventually a tenured professor in ed psych and also in human development. Did that for, oh, about 20 years, I guess. And now we're both officially retired. <laughs> and you're staying safe in the middle of this uh, pandemic? Well, we were fortunate in that in my painting supplies, I had a couple of N95 masks, believe it or not. <laughs> they, were just, they were just as well when they're 10 years old as when they're not. That's so right. So. We've been uh, carefully using that as little as we need to and as mu much as we must. So. Well, I'll always be thankful for your uh, input into this ministry, not uh, not only uh, in the beginning where you uh, helped us through a critical point of of uh, growth and, and expansion in the ministry and also some of the challenges that were unique to our ministry. And uh, I've learned so much from you uh, both uh, as uh, our work with consulting churches has gone on. And uh, if I have a, a, an issue of a psychological question, I'm so glad that I can connect with you and uh, just uh, tremendous information and, and uh, input because as our work with churches, we, we run into all kinds of people, as you know, and even Christians have some challenges with, <laughs> with the way they behave sometimes. And uh, we all know that, and uh, the Lord knows that. And so I'm just so grateful for your, uh, for your input. I'm also grateful for your willingness to uh, read my recent book, uh, Restoring Civility. Uh, lessons from the master and it just uh, considering your origins and your intelligence and knowledge and background and all of that I'm really interested to know uh, what new insights uh, did you uh, or refreshing insights did you gain from uh, uh, for your own life in in reading the book well I I like to uh, comment that I think you missed the boat with the title Ken. <laughs> It really should have, really should have been restoring civilization, because that's really what it's about. It's not just about relationships between one person and another, or how one person comports oneself in this world, and how one deals with conflict and those things. But what can we do to restore the civilization that we? have enjoyed for, for so many years in the face of a competing religion or competing ideology that is really a religion that has no tolerance for our perspective and our views. And I think the, 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 the train came off the rails back around 64 with the publishing of the book, uh, Situational Ethics, which took the underpinnings out from our society and made it a, essentially a free-for-all, and uh, that has led to the incivility that you write about and the, uh, the lack of respect that you write about and the ultimate consequences of all that you've written about, which are really quite, really quite scary. You know, it's interesting uh, that you say that. Well, as I did the research for the book, uh, both in scripture and also uh, in many other areas, uh, you mentioned the connection with being a civilized society. And to really make that connection, 
was kind of a surprise to me. I, I knew the word civility and I knew the word civilization, but I, I never really understood until I started researching it further about the whole idea that civility is like respect and respect is the difference between civilized and uncivilized. Um, uh, and and uh, so uh, what about the word respect? Can you talk a little bit about that, guys? Well, it's, it's my current experience where I spend uh, a fair amount of time on Facebook promoting my books, and I do so in, a, in an indirect and subtle way rather than a direct one. I see a, a great deal of lack of respect and uh, it, I, Kathy, uh, you can probably touch on it in the context okay. of the millennial generation, but it, it seems as though uh, people have developed their own world view. More than that, it's, it's really a structure of the world and how the world works that is uh, in conflict with reality in way too many cases. And so they have little tolerance, which I think is another aspect of respect, little tolerance for the uh, uh, views of others and the beliefs of others and no interest in discussing them. And if I might add, respect has always been a very strong concept for me. And as I have worked with, carried out research and also uh, taught people, well, from young adults to really essentially our age, I, there has been a difference. I think it comes from a couple areas. And from what you have provided in your book, I'm seeing a lot of uh, similarities in the sorts of things that you discuss and what c- can happen and also how it can be remediated in what I'm seeing in the students that I have been working with all of these years. And it's been a while. It's been I spent about 30-some years, too, I think. Anyway, it's. I do see that, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but the so-called millennial generation and that generation before them have, Waltz has gone off the rails a little. Many of them, not all of them, there are still an awful lot of folks that are young and capable and work very hard and are thoughtful and caring for other, each other. But more and more, what we're seeing is a sense of what is good for me, what I want, and a lot of I, I, I. And by the way, I'll let you in or involve you if you are, in a sense, useful to me. And that is very disturbing. And there's a lot of discussion in the research about what that's from, why that happens. The millennials are just most noticeable because they don't mind saying that's how they feel as a rule. Those before them, and something even post-60s, it may not go back that far, but the generation before them have been doing this primarily because a lot of them, unfortunately, have taken their attention off of family, sometimes for very good reasons, and other times as one very sage colleague once said to me, it's the first generation and the generation before that, that have not really learned what children are like, what adolescents are like. Therefore, their expectations for them tend to be a little bit atypical compared to what, you know, works a little bit better 
was bringing up young people and then now young adults. And a lot of folks can kind of, quote, fix themselves as they get more mature. Sometimes they don't. So I, I, I saw a lot of, uh, you know, cross discussions that could apply to both in your book. I thought it was very well thought out, by the way. That's really interesting to me, uh, Kathy, about the uh, the self-centeredness uh, of, uh, of of the society, and and it's all about me. Um, it, it is there. Are we talking about kind of a self-centered idolatry, where you know, I I am God. God is not God. Um, I don't know if it's that specific as a particular ideology. I think it's the fact that when parents have been so busy, families have been so busy, and by the way, grandparents are often not around, and that's a very important part of it, to see a different point of view from someone who has nurtured this individual and consistently carries it through. But if they don't have that, their parents are often not around because they have to work perhaps, or any numbers of other things, they actually take themselves and their electronic gizmos, shut the door and wanna be with it and their key pals. Either way, it kind of isolates them into talking to those who feel the same way, who had a similar background. And this is all very normal and natural to them. They haven't, one of, one of my, actually he was kind of a mentor for me, uh, a fellow named Kurt Fisher, who's retired from Harvard now. But he said that we're born egocentric and it takes at least 20 years or more to teach people to be otherwise. Hmm. And this comes from just developmental, how you grow and change in the how you think and how you understand. And so I think in, a, in an odd way without intending to, these kids have been neglected as far as learning about other people, learning about the world, and parents wanting to keep them, the kids happy and giving them essentially what they want, rather than sometimes teaching them what they need. And parents are very tired. And I think it's a combination of those things. What's the connection between this? Uh, and Walt, you started out talking about civilization and being civilized. I'm glad you asked that question because that ties in very, 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 very tightly. If a child is raised that they get whatever they want one way or another, they get their way one way or the other. Parents uh, exchange the concept of love for the concept of, uh, oh gosh, gifts, privilege, however you want to put it. In other words, they give the child whatever they want in, in lieu of the kind of loving attention that our parents gave us. And that sets them up for a tendency to fall under the thrall of another idolatry, which is the socialist idolatry, where instead of worshiping God, you turn to some authority that can give you things that you don't have to work for and you don't have to you don't have to pay for. Uh, everything is free and. Uh, really you get it without you get it without effort and when you have that kind of uh, perspective 
And we seem to go through these cycles in history where we have to learn that your your people must have some kinds of self-discipline and must have some kinds of reference to things outside themselves that help guide them in in a path that has true ethical foundations. Kind of rambling here a little bit, but it's the old gag, if you don't uh, stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's, that's pretty much where we are at. I don't want this to become political in our discussion, but it's almost inevitable. Uh, it's very difficult to avoid the political consequences of this clash of idols, if you will. And I don't mean to create, I don't mean to, to consider Jesus Christ and God to be an idol, but it is, a, it is our, the central figure in our lives and what gives us our moral compass and what gives us the examples by which to live. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to have a, quote, civilized discourse with folks that don't share that, share that compass. I have a cousin who considers herself to be a Christian and who can say things uh, such as, I hate that evil man, and we know to whom she refers. And her entire discourse, if it ever, when it falls into the political arena, is full of vitriol and hate, uh, and may I say, disrespect. For the current president. And I reach, I reach out to her as best I can, and uh, uh, I'm rebuffed, really, at every turn with the, the she has this, this absolute conviction that she is right and that anyone who disagrees with her or anyone who takes the opposite aside is not only wrong, but evil, which makes it very, very difficult to do some of the, or the, to do some of the steps to which you refer in that if you are seen as evil by the person with whom you're trying to have a relationship or you're trying to have a communication, um, you're pretty much you're pretty much stuck. You're pretty much stopped in your tracks. Where do you go with that? Where do you? What can you do? What can you say? And we fall back on this whole concept of, of Christian witnessing. Mm-hmm. You know, we do our best to live our lives the way we think Jesus would like us to live and to lead our live our lives. And that that means to be giving to other people rather than to be taking. Uh, to having fair exchanges, to uh, uh, respect everyone, regardless of regardless of any any characteristic they might have, even those who consider us evil, because after all, we Christ embraced the the uh, tax collector, and uh, the Holy Spirit took Saul and turned him into Paul. So we we know these people can be reached but one would hope you could do it without the necessity to resort to divine intervention to do so that seems to be a trend in our society where people uh take the extreme and uh uh just project uh, uh almost a, a, a horrible view of of people that are in leadership no matter what they say it, they, it can't be right because they've already made up their mind. Would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. And 
they attribute uh, uh, decisions or, or declarations to the basis of motives rather to, to the possibility, and they refuse the possibility there might be simply a policy difference. Um, and the most, and, and unfortunately, as, uh, as, as you point out, that we were smart enough to learn how to create the internet and we're not wise enough to use it for, for constructive purposes. Um, we have these, these storms of, of vitriol and, and hate and disrespect, getting back to the concepts in your book, for other people that don't fall in line with their ideology. And it really is a re ideology, and it is as much a religion as Christianity or Judaism or, or, or uh, Islam or, you know, you pick, you pick the religion. It's as much an, a religion to these people, even though they would never recognize it as such, even though they would never say it as much, but they are looking to the amorphous they, if you will, uh, the collective, if you will, the non-existent collective that's in their minds that is the source of all virtue. As you mentioned the uh, internet, um, yeah, I, I did uh, uh, put that phrase in the, in the book about humans are smart enough to invent the internet, but perhaps not wise enough to use it. So from you guys' perspective and your educational background and and work, um, how would you advise uh, parents uh, that are dealing with kids on the internet? How do we help that next generation use it properly? You want to take that? Oh boy. That's a toughie because the pure point of view from which, and also let me refer to what I consider the true millennials, the ones who have taken this I'm me and I'm the most important and I want to do what I want and so on point of view. And uh, let me say, I've seen lots of young adults that are not up down that road. There's still a lot of good folks out there, but it's so evident now that but that's the group that I'm primarily referring to. I've seen a lot of them. Um, how to help them? Well, it sort of depends upon where we're starting. I mean, the kids I see, all right, you college age. Well, let's let, let's take a parent. Let's say let's that, take a parent. Let's take a parent. They've got a child, and this child is growing older. You know, when should they be exposed to the electronic world? There's a, that's a really heated discussion right now, going on right now. It's interesting. You get sort of a, a two points of view, and I don't think either one has accepted the other. Do you sound familiar? And what happens is some say who are really, really what you call techies or techie families are really into all of this, say, well, gee, they can start at age two, which is not a good idea. There are others that say, let's wait until these kids can think a bit thoughtfully and also be able to consider the needs of the person on the other side of the electrons. And from my point of view, as a sort of a developmentalist, and I think it applies to every human being because it's the way we have been made, the way we are. Uh, it, it's a good idea to wait until these kids are at least, if, at least into mid-adolescence, but they should be treated 
earlier and be brought up in ways of understanding the other, that the other, others think about, others have feelings, others have cares, that we need to think about the other person. And this should be done all along from essentially uh, two, three years of age. And adapted each time as you get a little older and with a little more understanding. Research, research would teach us, and there's a lot of support for this, that kids develop the ability to use something effectively like the internet. Uh, usually not until they're in, oh, 13, 14, 15. And that's with a lot of support from good parent, parents that are working with them to uh, provide a guide. Otherwise, they might just look at us. I can learn everything. I can do everything. I've had college students say, why should I learn this or that? All I have to do is look it up. I don't have to learn it. And that's a very common, not a snotty point of view from their point of view. It's not a simple answer, but it probably, I would be a, a real pain in the neck at this point as far as saying, not allowing any unsupervised work, meaning that we have a central computer in say the living room, the dining room, somewhere. And that's where a youngster learns how to use it. While you're on that subject, Kathy, I want to ask you, does there, when, when you have that use of the internet and you're a young child, is there a, is there a feeling of power that is maybe not healthy? Uh, what, what age are we talking uh, about? The, the three, four or five year olds uh, under that age that you talked about. Now they, because they don't have a real strong sense of emotion. It's how they're feeling. They don't think about it as emotions. It's how they're feeling. And they seem to, they have the basic belief, which they later on don't have so much, that what I'm feeling, everybody in the world is feeling. So we can't really feel a powerful over another. Now you get to be around... 8, 10, 12, 14, yeah, that starts developing. One of the things that comes to mind, Kathy, as I listen to this is the concept of supervision. And that gets back yes. to this whole concept of the whole, what we began talking about earlier, which was the lack of, of experienced parenting in our society today. And part of that no grand is, grandparents. <laughs> is, is knowing what your child is doing to the point where you can trust them to do it on their own. And I think of having this central computer and someone's having a dialogue with someone else and the parent comes over and says, oh, what are you uh, guys talking about? Well, so-and-so, you know, call me this or that and uh, I'm gonna give it to them and give it to them back. And you take them aside and say, well, let's talk about this. You're having a conflict. You have to, you have to understand where the child is in terms of their cognitive development so that you're not talking above them or below them, but or, on a level that they can truly comprehend. Or they are likely to misunderstand what you're saying and vice versa, yeah. because cognitively they're not at it. Yeah. And, and, to, and to use the, to use these these opportunities as, as learning experiences so that they understand that what they are doing or propose to do or have done, what effect this does have on yeah. another person. Yeah. And that takes a that should start very early, not with the internet, but with just what happens in life. Like uh, a little kid just comes home, he says, my friend Joey's puppy just died. Well, we don't let that go, of course. We say, oh, how do you think he feels? 
what can we do to help Joey? And do those little dialogues so they come somewhat equipped with, you know, being loving, social, caring about others before they get on the internet or on you know, that, those sorts of discussions electronically. I guess the, the internet is really an amplifier for uh, whatever whatever processes be. are going on, whether they be for good or, or ill. Well, yeah. Kent talked about that as far as mm -hmm. it being, what's the term you use, Kent? When it, you expand it, you make a statement, or Jesus made a statement, it gets amplified and amplified by others and spread. Uh, the kids use it a lot, especially when they're younger and in adolescence as a weapon, as you say, or to, if you're bad at a particular kid, which will, well, that happens to everybody yeah, at you some can, point. You can, be, you can be nasty to a, to a playmate or a schoolmate, but the internet makes it possible for you to be a thousand times nastier and to potentially involve a thousand other people yeah. to uh, heap nastiness on your victim. Well, so it, it, they may not perceive the power as something they call power, which is a fairly abstract notion, but they sure will use it in a way that makes them feel I'm getting him back or something like that. Which brings us back to the whole idea of respect yep. and basic principles. And it's, it's the, as you talk about showing, not telling. Uh, if you live your life as a parent, you're living your life yep. in a way that would be, uh, uh, how can I put it, beautiful in the sight of God. That's not quite the right phrase, but pleasing to the sight of God, then <clears throat> you're, the people around you, not just children, but all oh, yeah. the people around you, as you point out, have the opportunity to see what that kind of behavior is and perhaps begin to glean the, uh, an understanding of the consequences of, of believing and acting in those ways. Uh, and I find on the internet, I work very hard to, to treat people with the greatest deal of respect, even if I loathe what they're saying or they loathe what uh, what I infer they believe. And uh, people have, have commented that uh, they appreciate the kind of person that I appear to be through my through my writings, really, because that's what you communicate on the internet, really, is, is by writing. Although. More and more now, we're doing this sort of uh, interaction with video calls. Right, and, right. Uh, As usual, uh, every time I am connecting with you guys, you give me a lot to think about, and I appreciate that. As we as we wrap up here, I just want to ask you uh, if you'd like and make any comment about would you recommend this book, Restoring Civility to Others, and if so, why? Well, I think it's, it can be an extremely helpful book. And one of the most important, uh, I have a cognitive point of view, a thinking, concept-forming point of view. And I admit that. <laughs> I'm biased in that way. However, you have taken these concepts, these words that you've brought up, like civility, and I wrote a few of them down, um, respect, uh, humility, um, some of these words that you kind of, not only talked about, but related one to another. And I think that's a really, really valuable thing to spur somebody to start thinking about these things 
because I promise you, unless they are really challenged like you have done in this book, uh, they probably won't think about them. People still, still like to take the most comfortable point path they can if they know about it. I can, I can second that and I would add, perhaps it's a tool that could be used to help my relative, for example, to ponder on uh, what, yeah. uh, on her beliefs and the way she approaches uh, life and others, particularly those with whom she does not uh, agree. Uh, probably a futile gesture, but it's one that uh, I, I intend to uh, do for Christmas, I think, this year. I'll send her a copy and see what happens. You never know. Uh, this is one of the books that, that, that I will be giving people, I think, could either benefit them in the standpoint, like my relative, of uh, hostility, or whom I believe could use reinforcement in their, uh, in their lives to not only continue to live the God-pleasing life, but also to give them some ideas of how others start to go down that path. So it's a great book. Sure. Thank you guys for uh, giving us your time and uh, sharing this as others are also going to be able to learn from you. God bless you. It's been great as always. God bless you. God bless your ministry. And just take care of yourself, man. We need you. Thank you, guys. God bless. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Ken Tunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.